Rosenquist, and yeah, I know it's been a long time. It's been, um, by the time you hear this, over five months, and it's just short of five months since I did my uh, last recording, because I pre-record everything for about a month before it has to air. But um, those of you who follow me on um, social media, you know that on August 17th, I had a nervous breakdown, which was a long time coming. I had been killing myself working, um, and I'd been pushing through a lot of stress since um, coming home from the um, Founded in Truth Hanukkah conference in, what, 2019. So at the end of 2019, so a little over two years ago. And, um, you know, I meant to take a break and then COVID happened and people needed to be ministered to. And I had the radio shows and, and it just became impossible. It became difficult for me to get away from myself and um, dealing with all the death and um, all the division and the rancor within the body. Uh, I pushed myself too hard and I took on another radio show, of course, for the kids. And, you know, we just can't do that. And even though I was doing work that God had called me to do, I didn't know how to do it in a healthy way. And, um, you know, that combined with um, the fact that after my uh, big stroke in 1997, um, I developed some some issues, some mental health issues, some mental illness issues, where uh, my body steals serotonin before my brain can use it. Of course, serotonin is a neurotransmitter, and um, when you do not have enough serotonin, the uh, the brain kind of freaks out, and you get anxiety. And you know, I supplemented my diet for two decades with tryptophans. I ate so many tryptophans that I actually became toxic and uh, had to go on a vegetarian diet, which I'm still on, uh, in September. But um, that actually <laughs> made it worse because that I wasn't getting, you know, the, uh, the high tryptophan dosage that I had been. And uh, in November, I ended up in the ER from stress and... Um, had to finally give in and say, okay, I cannot, there is no oil, there is no herb, there is no food that is going to overcome the problems with my brain not getting the neurotransmitters uh, it needed. And uh doctor put me on some medication to an antidepressant that blocks the receptors that are malfunctioning and causing my body to suck up all of the serotonin, my neurotransmitter, which makes the brain work before um, before my brain can get to it. And uh, so that was two months ago. And uh, you know what? Um, I'm doing much better. I'm doing much better. This will be my first time recording, though, in five months. And so I'm a little bit rusty and it's... it. I might be tripping over my words and stuff. A lot of people have been asking me to do uh, their podcasts and their radio shows and everything. I'm just saying, no, I haven't even done this yet. I don't even know if I can, you know, be intelligent. Uh, actually not sure if I was capable of it before either. But anyway, uh, that's me. That's, that's the update. I'm doing better now. I'm learning how to work in a more healthy way. I limit my work hours to 10 hours a day. <laughs> 
I used to get up like at five o'clock in the morning and work until I went to bed. And I just can't do that. Never could, but I was doing it anyway. So, um, anyway, back to work here. And um, I'm going to be recording a broadcast that I wrote back in, uh, oh my gosh, back in August of last year. And it's on the biblical calendar. So now I'm going to go to my script. And uh, thanks for listening to me through that. Thanks for everyone who has been praying for me. Um, I'll tell you something. This It's been a time of incredible closeness with God. Just because when things aren't working, he's just all you can cling to. And um, I've had wonderful um, prayer life and um, just downtime. And uh, you know what? It all works. Anyway, I love you guys, and thank you. So, anyway, back to the script. So, I was writing up part six of the Gospel of Mark series, you know, from five months ago. And uh, six, part 61 begins with, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And as I was writing, I realized that not everyone has a good bead on the biblical calendar, which is perfectly all right. And I also realized that I would be a terrible teacher if I didn't write up a broadcast explaining I might be a terrible teacher anyway, but I'd be even worse, right? So honestly, you know, it's confusing enough, which when you've lived with it for over 10 years, which I have, so I am not just going to leave people hanging if they're not familiar enough with it to have an understanding. And I'm sure I'm going to re-air this when I teach Matthew, Luke, and John. So if you're hearing this and it's not 2022, that's why. Um, you know, we've run into a situation where this material needs to be reviewed. And uh, also it makes the festivals easier to understand in general. And because we're talking about the calendar, we'll also cover how the times were determined during the life of Yeshua, or you may call him Jesus, from the extra biblical materials and might even look at some other sectarian calendars, all right? Anyway, hi, I'm Tyler Don Rosenquist, and welcome to Character in Context, where I teach the historical and ancient sociological context of Scripture with an eye to developing the character of Messiah. And I'm going to skip all over that because I took too much time with my intro. <laughs> anyway, past broadcasts of this program can be found at characterincontext.podbean.com, and transcripts are posted Fridays at theancientbridge.com. All scripture uh, this week comes courtesy of the ESV, the English Standard Version, but you can follow along with whatever Bible you want. Now, I imagine that everyone listening understands uh, our secular Gregorian calendar. Okay, right? Hopefully. Months begin in January and end in December. Um, during the winter in the Northern Hemisphere and during the summer in the Southern Hemisphere where their water also runs in the wrong direction, so someone needs to get a plumber down there. Not only that, but, you know, they have the wrong constellations in the sky. So again, somebody call an astronomer to fix things. You know, just kidding, guys, right? I, I love you guys in the South. <laughs> And in addition to the standard year, we also have other beginnings and endings to the year. Although I can only give you Americans examples because I'm woefully ignorant of other countries, so just bear with me. Fiscal years for businesses can begin and end at different times, depending on when they set up shop. 
School years uh, begin in the fall and end in the late spring. We do this because different things require different beginnings and endings. And with a biblical calendar, we have the exact same thing. Except that it's about festivals and agriculture. Because that was their life. They didn't have a school calendar, but they would develop tax or tithing calendars based on when the new flocks were counted. And they would develop calendars for new trees so that they'd know when one could be harvested for the first time. And once they had kings, they would have calendars for the beginning and ending of coronation years that coincided with the new agricultural year. And then they had the best known of the calendars, the festival calendar. That's a whole lot of calendars, but as I mentioned above, we also have a lot of calendars, so this isn't bizarre or unique. Every culture on Earth has multiple reckonings of time existing side by side in perfect harmony. Now, let's start with the festival calendar because that's the reason I'm doing this broadcast. The festival calendar isn't actually the first calendar mentioned in scripture, but for our purposes, it's the most useful. You know, FYI, the calendar mentioned in the flood account is the first, and the dates only line up with important dates on the festival calendar. If we line up, if we line it up with the more ancient agricultural calendar, but you know, more on that later. Uh, let's go to Moses, Aaron, and the Exodus. For the first mention of this important reckoning of time in chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning for you, the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. So obviously this is concerning the institution of the Passover, which would later become a memorial festival wherein the entire nation would come together and vicariously relive the exodus out of Israel through a meal that was quite different than the first one, but, you know, served as a community ritual celebrating what they didn't have the first time around, which is freedom while still remembering how they were delivered from slavery. We'll talk more about that when the actual Passover meal happens in the text. But there are two important phrases in Exodus 12 that I want you to notice, and one is the beginning of months, or Rosh Chodesh in Hebrew, and the first month of the year, or Lechodesh Hashanah. Pre-existing this point, they already had the agricultural calendar. We know this through Israeli archaeology uh, in the form of the Gezer calendar, and also from the biblical text in the descriptions of Sukkot, and we will talk about both of those later. Yahweh is now giving them what they didn't have before, a festival calendar. I mean, 
Why would they need one when the festivals had not yet been instituted and tied to the Exodus? As they all later would be in some, some way. Now, other ancient Near Eastern cultures began their actual New Year in the spring, like the Babylonians, who celebrate their New Year during the barley cutting in a festival named Akitu, which means barley cutting. And they would have their kingship rituals at the same time because they practiced something called appeasement. And they would perform sacred marriage rituals where the king would have sexual relations with the high priestess of Ishtar as a way of reenacting the marriage between Ishtar and Tammuz. Or Inanna and Dumuzi, you know, originally the goddess of the storehouse and the shepherd god. You know, that was done in order to bring blessings of fertility to flocks and crops throughout the agricultural year. Now, of course, the Israelites were absolutely forbidden to do these sorts of things and were instead commanded to do something radical. They were commanded to sacrifice a precious commodity, a lamb, and to share a meal with Yahweh. No fertility rituals. In fact, no culturally recognized acknowledgement of this being the beginning of an agricultural year at all. The only acknowledgement of the harvest of barley came with the blessing of the sheaf of barley at the temple on the day after the first Sabbath after the Passover sacrifice. But what does Chodesh mean? You know, what did it mean to the ancient Israelite? The Chodesh refers to a month determined by the sighting of the moon phase. During biblical times, according to Mishnah Tractate Rosh Hashanah, it was something that could actually be seen with respect to other things in the sky, so it obviously couldn't be a quote-unquote new moon or dark moon by modern reckoning. Nor was it a full moon, because that would hardly need witnesses, and there would be no mystery because you could see it coming. The only phase of the moon that would be a surprise and would require witnesses to come to the temple to testify about what they saw would be the very first sliver of the moon. And that marked the beginning of the biblical months, not only in the time of Moses, but also in the time of Yeshua. That day would be um, witnessed to by multiple people, who were questioned at the temple by priests and, you know, the moon would be certified as valid that night, um, which is the beginning of the new day because biblical days end and begin at sunset. And um, the priests would perform um, once a month special sacrifices on the following day or on that day. Yeah, it would be that day. <laughs> Uh, now, Western culture begins and ends days at midnight, according to the Greco-Roman reckoning. So that can take a little bit longer to get used to. But it's why the Passover was eaten after the sun went down when it was no longer the 14th day of the month, but now the 15th and a special day called a high Sabbath. More about that later. Now, scholars believe that Yahweh was showing Moses and Aaron the first sliver of the new moon when he told them that this was Rosh Chodesh and Lachodesh Hashanah, or the beginning of months and the first month of the year, respective, respectively. 
He told them that on the 10th day of the first month, they would take a lamb and bring it into their homes, a perfect lamb, and that on the 14th in the afternoon, they would slaughter it and apply the blood of that lamb to their doorpost before roasting it and then eating it that night when it became the fifth day of the month. Now, the really confusing thing about the biblical calendar that Moses kept is that you never know how many days there are going to be in a month, which might be 29 or it might be 30. It, it all depends. So they really had to pay attention. And what happens when your months are all 29 or 30 days long? Well, it means that a 12-month lunar year is going to come up pretty short of a solar year. Now, a lunar year is just going to be 12 lunar cycles, but a solar year is the amount of time it takes for the Earth to revolve completely around the sun. And, of course, that's, you know, 365 days in a quarter. <laughs> Although the lunar months were important for the biblical calendar, the solar year is vitally important for the agricultural calendar. Now, if you've ever paid attention to Ramadan, um, it happens earlier every year than the year before, and that's because the festival calendar of the Muslims is only lunar. So Ramadan begins every 12 lunar months. But you can't plant your barley or wheat or any crop by that sort of calendar. Otherwise, you might find yourself planting wheat in the mid middle of winter some year or barley in the blistering heat of summer, and you would get no crop for years and years. That's why the calendar, the biblical calendar, uses not only the moon for months, but also the sun for years. So every few years, there's another month tacked on, making for a total of 13 months. Um, it isn't that much different than our leap years being every fourth year as a true solar year. Um, you know, the true solar year isn't 365 days, but 365 and a quarter days, which I'm sure you already know. So the biblical calendar is called a loony solar calendar. Now, Christians also use a lunisolar calendar, reckoning every year to determine the date Easter will be celebrated on. That's why it continues to fall at the same time as the Passover and isn't on a set calendar date every year or even on a set Sunday during a set month during the year. Okay. Now, the reason Easter is always on a Sunday is because of the festival that it is based on, where the first fruits of the barley harvest was um, presented at the temple on the Sunday of the Passover week, being the first day after the Passover week Sabbath. So the resurrection happened on first fruits, which is called Pascha in almost every language, um, but Easter in the very few Germanic languages based on the old, oh, Yostor Monab. I can't speak that <laughs> old English, old German, right? And it means Paschal month, okay? The Venerable Bede claimed that it was named after the goddess Eoster, but he is literally the only ever person who ever mentions her, so the claim is dubious at best, and, and he's not always very reliable. But maybe it is true. In any event, it doesn't come from Ishtar, which who would be absolutely unknown in that neck of the woods. And if it were true, it would be more widely spread 
and in the areas where Ishtar was actually worshipped, but hadn't been for centuries by the time of Yeshua. But we don't see that. Um, but this is just to show that first fruits is always on a different day on the biblical calendar, anywhere from the 16th to the uh, 22nd of the first month, also called Nisan. But wait, there's more! To have a ripe barley sheaf presented at the temple means that the barley has to be ripe, and that it has to be ripe before you decide when the month begins. Otherwise, there is no obeying the commandment to present that ripe sheaf. So before the month of Nisan can be cited and the new festival year declared, the fields must be checked for ripe barley. If there is none, then there needs to be a 13th month before there can be a first month. But once that first month has finally been declared, those lambs can be selected. The journey to Jerusalem can be made, and the Passover can be celebrated. On that Sunday of Passover, uh, the priests will wave a sheaf of barley before the Lord, and the people can then eat from the new harvest. Fifty days after the waving of that sheaf, in the third month of the year, called Sivan, we are commanded to celebrate the one-day festival of Shavuot, um, also known as Pentecost in the Greek language, on this day, actually, you know, it's 50th day, including the waving of the sheaf. Sorry, it's 49 days after the waving of the sheaf. So it's still going to be on a Sunday. So it also fell on a Sunday as we would reckon it. And the farmers would all bring beautiful baskets of fresh produce to the temple. And as they uh, handed those baskets to the priest on duty, they would say, a wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arms, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And that's uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 10. According to the account in Josephus, this was a big hairy deal. And even King Agrippa II would be at the head of the parade into the temple bearing baskets of produce. And, uh, you know, we're going to skip ahead to the sixth month, the month called Elul. The first day of Elul, which this last year was August 9th, it marks the beginning of the 40 days before Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day of the year. It's very probably the 40 days that Yeshua was tempted in the wilderness before, or after his baptism, putting that baptism either on Elul 1 or at the end of Av, the fifth month. This would have resulted in his temptation being on the day of Yom Kippur, which would be prophetically very significant. Of course, Lent is um, modeled after this, but placed before the Passover season instead of before the fall feasts. And I think this was a natural consequence of the division between the synagogue and the early assemblies. 
as we know from the Didache, that early Christians were already meeting on Sundays by 100 of the Common Era, and as a result of the increasing, you know, rift between uh, Jews who were and were not Christians during the time of the Bar Kokhba revolt, and furthered by a growing rancor between the sects through the centuries that, you know, followed, you know, capped off by a formal legally mandated split between Christians and Jews during the 5th century in the Roman Empire. You know, obviously a lot of context about festivals and the calendar was lost. You know, what isn't true is that those 40 days were related to the weeping for Tammuz because that was over the summer during the dry season and it wasn't 40 days long, more like months and months as they wept sympathetic tears in mimicry of Tammuz's mother and sister trying to bring him back up from the underworld so it would rain again. You know, there are some really messed up stories out there. Anyway, I will be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to the second half of this week's Character in Context. And as always, I'm Tyler Don Rosenquist, back from the dead. No, I didn't resurrect. I just had a nervous breakdown from years and years of, of overwork and being ridiculous with myself. And I needed a five-month time off. So now I'm back. And we've been talking about the biblical calendar in preparation for Mark chapter 15, where we're going to be talking about the Passover. And, you know, when you're talking about the feast, you need to know about the calendar. So that's what we're doing. Um, we're up to um, Elul now, the month of Elul. Um, traditionally in Judaism, um, the month of Elul and the ten, first 10 days of the month of Tishri are known as the season of Teshuvah, or the days of repentance. This would, um, you know, this would give the fasting and temptation of Yeshua, which I think happened during this time, yeah, give it more meaning than just a random 40 days before Passover. Yeah, roughly 30 days into the season of Teshuva comes the sighting of the seventh month of the festival year. So at the end of the sixth month, and the one-day festival that actually has no formal name in scripture. It's just called a memorial proclaimed by the blast of trumpets. Now, chances are, if you know about this festival day, you would think it would be referred to in Leviticus 23 as either Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, but it isn't. It's described, but there's no name, which is funny in a sad way because people actually fight about why it, what it should and shouldn't be called. You know, I imagine that if God or Moses really cared, then it would have a name designated and not just the festivities described. Now, as far as the name goes, Yom Teruah isn't bad because that means the day of trumpet blasts. Um, and Rosh Hashanah also isn't horrible because of another verse which states that the feast of the seventh month happen at the end of the year. So let's take a look at that. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. This is, by the way, is 
Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall not eat. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. So that end of the year is literally the going out of the year. Um, AKA the, the transition from one year to another. But, but wait, this is obviously talking about the ingathering of the fall harvest, not the spring, because that's what they talked about first. The eating of the unleavened bread in the month of Aviv, which, you know, is the Canaanite word for ripe barley, AKA Nisan in other verses, which is the Babylonian name. So, you know, you want, there's no Hebrew name there. You got the Canaanite name or, uh, uh or the uh, Babylonian name. It's just a description. It's okay. Um, you know, not Shavuot because they spoke about that second. So this festival of the ingathering, which speaks of the end of the year, must be talking about the fall festivals in the seventh month known as Tishri. So now we have another ending slash beginning of the year in the seventh month. Apart from the first month, but how can this be the case? Well, remember we talked about the different kinds of years that we have on our calendar? We have the calendar year, the tax years, and the school years, right? Well, at the beginning of Mishnah Tractate Rosh Hashanah, we see four different kinds of years observed by the Jewish people based on different biblical realities and commandments. Uh, they are four days in the year that serve as the new year, and they said they. Okay, I'm just reading it. Each for a different purpose. On the first of Nisan is the new year for kings. It is from this date that the years of a king's ruler counted. And the first of Nisan is also the new year for the order of festivals, as it determines which is considered the first festival of the year and which is the last. On the first of Elul is the new year for animal tithes. All the animals born prior to that date belong to the previous year tithe and are tithed as a single unit, whereas those born after that date uh, belong to the next tithe year. Rabbi Eleazar and Rabbi Shimon said the new year for animal tithes is on the first of Tishrei. On the first of Tishrei, you know, they, everybody's going to disagree, right? Um, <laughs> on the first of Tishrei is the new year for counting years, as will be explained in the Gemara for calculating sabbatical years and jubilee years, i.e. from the first of Tishrei, there is a biblical prohibition to work the land during these years for planting, for determining the years of Orla, the three-year period when a tree has been planted, during which time its fruit is forbidden, and for tithing vegetables. As vegetables picked prior to that date cannot be tithed together with vegetables picked after that date. On the first of Shavat is the new year for the tree. The fruit of a tree that was formed prior to that date belongs to the previous tithe year and cannot be tithed together with the fruit that was formed after that date. This ruling is in accordance with the statement of Beit Shammai. But Beit Hillel says the new year for trees is on the 15th of Shavat because they don't agree about things either. 
<laughs> so we have all these things that need to be done over the course of the year. And, you know, we can call them deadlines. When is the cutoff date for how many years we say that a king has reigned? When do we consider the festival year to begin and end? Um, what is the date when we start to count the yearling animals that we need to tie the, this year and which animals get counted next year instead? At what point do we determine when a tree is officially in its fifth year and um, can be eaten from? When do the Shemitah and the Yovel cycles get counted from, you know, also known as the sabbatical and jubilee years, when the land cannot be worked and the land is returned to its permanent owners after being leased out by needy families? You need beginnings and endings for all of these. As far as the festivals go, the month for those begin and end in the spring, and they are numbered from that month. Years, however, are legally tied to the agricultural cycle because it was on Yom Kippur that land was formally returned at the Jubilee, and it also marked the time that you would stop working the land to allow it to lay fallow for the Shemitah, or the seventh year. Debt slaves were also freed at this time after their sixth year of service. And because of this, going back to Tishri 1, it is not only referred to as Yom Teruah, the day of the trumpet blast, but also Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, because it is the beginning of a new year. It was a time of rejoicing and freedom as cycles were completed and coronations were conducted on that day. I mean... If you're going to celebrate a new king's coronation, do you want to do it with barley and last year's stale leftovers or with the new crop all harvested and available? I mean, duh. <laughs> Not much of a party in barley. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you know, that was bad. I can admit it. Now, if you're getting your family's land back, then it is the beginning of a renewed existence. If you are being released after six years of your family being in debt slavery, you know, you get the idea. It's the beginning of the year. Now, related to this, we also have the um, archaeological find of the Gezer calendar. I think that's how you pronounce Gezer. I've never actually looked it up. Every time I say it, I mean to, and I forget, um, which lays out the agricultural year for ancient Israel, where it was excavated, um, you know, and it had the beginning ending at, you know, the time of the fall festivals uh, on this calendar. In addition, when you look at the specific months and dates involving the flood, they line up really nicely with this agricultural calendar as important days, you know, you know, lining up with later festivals. Okay. Starting, if it starts out in Nissan, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. I'm going to link materials about it in the transcript. It was an incredibly important find and it's really super cool. It was in Paleo Hebrew, which is a font, not word pictures. It's just a font guys, not a secret language. Now, what you will not find anywhere, and I apologize for this all the time, is a single source calling Tishri 1 the day and hour that no one knows, because as far as I can find, and everyone else I've ever asked, this is an urban legend of recent origin designed to dazzle Christians into keeping the festivals under the auspices of them needing to know this day in order to know the time of Yeshua's return. 
but despite all the grandiose claims, it's total conjecture with no evidentiary backing whatsoever. Now, it can be argued, but it was never called that in any ancient document ever. And I taught it because it was presented as something that was proven to me, okay? But then I found out that the people making those claims never provided proof of anything, only claims. But, you know, we all live and learn and hopefully stop saying stuff that we can't prove no matter how well it promotes our agendas. Uh, moving forward, nine days after Tishri 1, the first day of the seventh month is Tishri 10. Otherwise known as Yom HaKippurim, the Day of Atonements, but more popularly known as Yom Kippur, which is so famous that it even appears on most secular calendars. The 10 days um, from um, Tishri 1, you know, whatever you decide to call it, to Tishri 10 are traditionally called the 10 Days of Awe and mark the last 10 days of the season of Teshuvah. The point of these days, and the 30 before it, is uh, to really do some serious soul-searching as to the state of our spiritual health over the last year, and to get right with people and to make restitution, if need be, before the Day of Atonement, where during Temple times, um, there were elaborate sacrifices, um, and uh, once-a-year rituals performed on behalf of the nation, and it was the only day of the year when anyone would enter the Holy of Holies. And, you know, uh, that was limited to the high priest. And if you've ever heard the story uh, about the rope tied to his leg to haul him out if he was stricken dead, again, totally made up. This is also the day when the lots would be cast for the two goats, one of which would be sacrificed and the other one would be sent into the wilderness, carrying the sins of all Israel as it went. Um, now, despite how depressing Yom Kippur sounds, being that we afflict ourselves, drinking nothing and eating nothing for a 24-hour period, it's actually an incredibly intimate time with Yahweh and very cleansing as we just humble ourselves before him and refuse to take comforts, okay? Now, our sons have been keeping Yom Kippur every year since they were 10, and they never had any issues with a total fast and even my special needs sons. You know, it's it's really a good thing to be able to make this personal sacrifice of comforts for one day of the year to show God our seriousness and repentance before him. You know, really, when we think about how much we have and how good we have it here, that our brothers, that our brothers and sisters in other places are suffering and even sometimes dying for lack of food and water, it's a very small thing to spend one day in prayer and fasting and humbly putting down the constant demands of our greedy, greedy flesh. Now, five days later on the 15th day of Tishri and lasting for seven days is the festival of Sukkot. And then there's an eight day afterworld word called Shemini Etzeret, which literally means eighth, eighth assembly, where the entire people of Israel were con commanded to have an assembly after the end of Sukkot again in Jerusalem. This was actually, you know, party central for the year. People had worked like dogs since spring planting and harvesting and, and tending flocks in the heat and worrying about having moisture when they needed it or getting rain at the end of the year. You know, when rain would have been a disaster. Insects, marauders, depleted soil, livestock disease, etc. 
but by Sukkot, the harvest was in and the flocks were all birthed and it was either a good year with plenty to celebrate or at least it was all over for another year. And um, the more leisurely winter months were setting in with cooler temps and some relief. But had everything gone well, this was definitely what is traditionally referred to as the season of our joy. In modern days of technology and sprinkler systems, where even where I live, in the high deserts of eastern Idaho, you can grow stuff without needing to be solely reliant on the rainfall, but with them, it was the rains or nothing. I mean, with exception of farming the Jordan River Valley, which was always fertile and lush and famous for its agricultural bounty, you know. But after a great harvest where you about killed yourself and your hired servants to, you know, bring it in, you were in the mood for a party. And Sukkot was definitely that. In a world with no books, television, movies, radios, or phone service, Sukkot was all that and more, and a family reunion on top of that, and plus a time when people would actually eat meat, a rare delicacy, in a time where animals were too valuable for wool and milk to justify slaughtering to eat, you know, very often. And as I mentioned before, foods were available fresh that were usually only to be had dried or salted. They would look at it, you know, like we would look at it a week of going to Disneyland, you know, without having to wait in lines for any of the rides and without cranky kits. And by the way, word to the wise, if you ever go there, learn close-up coin and card tricks, because I have diffused more than one tantrum by a child who should have been kept on their regular sleep schedule and is melting down, you know, by pulling a coin out of their ear on a bus or monorail. And it also works at the grocery store. Probably works better if you're a woman because if a man does it, it's kind of creepy. Just saying. And with this, the formal festival year was at a close. People would go back to their homes and the barley planting season would begin immediately as well as the early rains, which are oftentimes... um you know, torrential winter rains in Israel. Now, it might surprise you because a lot of people assume that the um, early rains are in the spring, but we are on the agricultural calendar when talking about rain, right? The early heavy rains are in the winter and the latter rains fall in the spring, which I know messes up a lot of prophecy teachings commonly found out there. The early rains of the winter are a sight to behold. The wadis of Israel are deep canyons running through the country, and they are as dry as a bone, but as soon as these mountainous regions start seeing rainfall, they can fill up and become deadly raging rivers in just a few minutes, and I'll link a video in the transcript. And I think I've covered most everything we need, except for the concept of high Sabbaths. I think everyone is familiar with the concept of the Sabbath, which... I, sp I spelled with three B's in here, goodness sakes, <laughs> as commanded by the Ten Commandments and elsewhere. You know, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days. You shall labor and do all your work, but, on but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. That's Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. So every week that begins on a Friday night at sunset. Remember that biblical days do not begin and end according to the Greco-Roman reckoning. 
that we're accustomed to. Um, and the Sabbath ends on Saturday night at sunset. And there was to be no laboring, not even by servants or animals, except, of course, to save a life or to care for a serious need. In fact, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, one of the shocking things was that he actually feasted every single day, which meant that his servants were being forced to cook every single day. If Yahweh had not given this prohibition, women would never have been able to rest. They probably still didn't because they had so many kids. But on certain festival days, they had the same restrictions, but cooking was permitted so that they could feast. And so, yeah, this was more of a holiday for the guys, but... I imagine the women didn't really much want to eat their husband's cooking anyway, am I right? These um, specific festival days with prohibitions are called High Sabbaths, and we would include the first and seventh day of unleavened bread in the spring. So, in other words, you have the day that the Passover lambs are slaughtered, which is Nisan 14th, the 14th day of the first month of the festival year in the early spring. And that night, when the 15th begins, starts the first day of unleavened bread at sundown and the first high Sabbath of the year. Now, six days later, on the 21st day of the month, is the second high Sabbath. No restrictions at all on the other six days. The day of the presentation of the first sheaf of barley, a.k.a. first fruits, the day Yeshua rose from the dead, not normally a high Sabbath, unless the first day of the festival was also on a Sunday. I know it's so complicated. I, I takes a long time to get used to it. Next high Sabbath is um, 49 days after first fruits and on Shavuot, Pentecost, which Pentecost means 50 days. So... And it's just like the others. Uh, after that, nothing until Tishri 1, which is the day of the blowing of the trumpet. Tishri 10, which is Yom Kippur. And Tishri 15 and 22 for the first and um, last days of Sukkot. Now, in modern times, because we do not have the temple, those who observe the festivals generally observe the high Sabbaths of the first day of Unleavened Bread, Shavuot, Yom Teruah, slash Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and the first day of Sukkot. It's a challenge because we cannot keep the festivals as they were commanded to be kept, but many do their best to practice and learn about them and do what they can because they are important foreshadowings of the Messiah and his ministry, as well as memorials of past deliverances of Yahweh on behalf of his people. But we're in exile now, and we cannot keep the festivals as originally commanded. Instead, we tend to try and do our best to center them around Yeshua and the greater exodus that he made available for the world at the cross and in anticipation of his return to a world where he can be worshipped by people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And then we will see Sukkot as it has never been kept in the history of the world. And in fact, Zechariah talks about that day, which is important considering the fact that Zechariah 9-14 through 14 is very much referred to in our next chapter of Mark, chapter 14. Uh, starting in verse 16, then um, everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of booths. 
and if any of the families on earth do not go up to jerusalem to worship the king the lord of hosts there will be no rain on them and if the family of egypt does not go and present themselves then there shall be no rain and there shall be a plague with which the lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths this shall be the punishment to egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not keep the feast of booths aka sukkot because i've been calling it sukkot so remember how i told you that um, sukkot and the fall feasts were at the beginning and end of the uh, agricultural year i hear from i'm sorry if the people from the nations do not keep sukkot if they do not go up to Jerusalem to worship Yeshua, they will have no rain that year because Sukkot is the beginning of the year and rain is how we avoid famine. And I don't care who you are or where you live. Rivers dry up eventually without rain refilling the aquifers. Uh, Sukkot is how we tangibly celebrate God's provision and thus it makes sense that it comes at the cusp of the year's ending and beginning and... um. Like, um, right now, we've been really having drought conditions in this region of Idaho. And, of course, we're in the high desert. Uh, this is where your potatoes come from for for everything. You know, there are other states with uh, major potato crops, but Idaho has the biggest. Um, just that lava soil. And we are high desert, which means that, you know, we get all of our water uh, out of Snake River and... Um, the Snake River gets its water from, you know, the mountains in Wyoming and Idaho. And we haven't, we've had some bad snow years. Now, fortunately, we're sitting in uh, January, right? That's January 12th when I am recording this. Um, we had some really good snow in December. Oh my gosh. Starting in December and like the... Uh, first week of January. It was great. I mean, it was snowing all the time. I had to go see my chiropractor over and over again. Uh, but we got, we've already had more snow, I think, than we had all last year. So I'm hoping that'll continue because, yeah, it's very serious when you don't get rain. It doesn't just come out of a pipe out of nowhere. It has to, has to come from somewhere. Anyway, uh, next week we are going to start with Mark chapter 14, and I hope we see you there for the Passover teachings. Take care.